looking forward to continuing our study through Romans and our series, at least for the first 10 weeks, is going to be all about how we're guilty. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, we look forward to that, right? Well, the more we understand how guilty we are, the more we appreciate God's grace. And that's, uh, that's what we want to take a look at. And then really as, as we continue through Romans, we see that more and more. So um, I think it's, it's good that it, uh, Paul starts off this way. And it's encouraging to know that uh, he doesn't end with chapter 4. That he continues moving forward because we would all be, be hopeless and lost at that point. So, well, uh, it's been a, a full week for many of us, uh, for you and me, and I know that this, uh, this weekend we've got a lot of our youth up in McCall, uh, our junior high is up there, some of our high schoolers are up there, and you really feel it when you come and you, you start to set up and you're like, man, we're missing a lot of our, our young ones here that, that do a lot of things, but uh, we're, we're trusting that they're having a great time up there and God's using them in a great way in teaching them, so you can be praying for them, uh, they'll be up there through tomorrow. So, and then they come back. Well, as we move forward, uh, just a couple things to think about. Psalm 139, and um, actually Luke had just prayed this, and I was planning on reading it. It says in verse 13, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because you have been remarkably because I have been, excuse me, remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. He starts off, and, and David is, is giving this psalm, and we want to start off today just by saying God has made us. He's created us. We are, are wonderfully made in his image. We are image bearers of God, and we like to talk a lot about that in church. And we like to talk about God's love and we like to talk about God's grace and his mercy and all of those things because those are all the positive things. But today we're going to jump into a passage where we're going to talk about what many, even critics, would say is a very negative side to our Christian faith. However, I want you to listen all the way through because at the end you find out what seems to be very negative is actually extremely positive. And you have to understand the bad before you can really understand the good. And so I hope you understand that as we move through this passage, we're going to talk a lot about some of the, the bad stuff, the bad things, or maybe what we would consider today in our culture to be bad, but really it leads ultimately to what is good. So uh, we will continue, at least through this month, to do this texture question. Hope to be able to move through the passage and give us some time here at the end. If you want to text a question, you're going to uh, be able to run it through Luke today. Last week we didn't have that option, but he's going to go through and take a look at some of those questions, and then he's going to give them to me, and then I'm going to try to answer it. And if uh, I'm not able to answer it today, or the questions that we don't get to today, we will do a, a video throughout this week. And I don't know if you found the video last week. I posted it on Facebook, and so that's just kind of the way we'll, we'll go ahead and present it. Uh, again this next week. So you can look for that as well. But that's the number. Um, that's the time you're going to see it. So if you need it or you think you're going to use it, go ahead and write it down. You can even save it in your phone so that in the weeks coming, you'll have it 208-205-9771. Got it? Got it. Good. All right. Well, let's move on forward. Bad but good. That's what we're going to talk about today. God has every right 
to be angry. What do you think? God has every right to be angry. Like I say, I think people approach God and they say, oh, God is a loving, gracious, kind, merciful, good God. And we'd like to talk about that. We present that. It's truth. Absolutely, he is all those types of things. But we also have to understand, in order for us to even appreciate the fact that God is good and that he's just and that he's, well, excuse me, gracious and merciful and all that, we have to understand that he's first just and that, that he uh, looks at sin and he sees it as wrong and it actually makes him angry. Well, God has every right to be angry, one, because the truth has been ignored. He has given us the truth. He has written it down. It's given it to us in the word. It's given us through stories and history, and we can go back to it and look at it and see that God has revealed himself to us, and yet it's been ignored. He has a right to be angry because he's the creator, and even the creation has ignored the fact that he is the creator and has looked to many other either deities or maybe even look to other theories out there that uh, we just simply came into existence by accident or things like that. You see that in these first couple verses here. In verse 18, it starts, it says, For God's wrath is revealed. Another way of saying wrath here is anger. God's anger is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He starts off, he says, God is is angry because people are living a a godless life, an unrighteous life, and they suppress the truth. What God has told us, they just ignore. They put it away. They say, I'm going to step away from it. Now, people can say, well, that that doesn't sound like the God I know. But here's a great quote. Robert Mounts, he said, if God responded to wickedness with no more than a benign tolerance, his righteousness could be called into question. The idea is if God looked at everything out there that he created and he said was good and then he saw how man ruined it, if he just said, oh, well, that's okay, then we could actually say, well, God, you're not that just then. You're not righteous. He said, that's not the case. God does look at it and he says, it is not good anymore. What I created and what I established and what I designed was supposed to be good, but sin came into the world because man chose to disobey God. And when that happened, it became really ugly. And when it became really ugly, God says, well, I have two choices. One, I can destroy it, or two, I can be gracious with it. And he decided to be gracious. Now, for many of us, we look at our world, and because we're living in a sinful world, we say, it's really not that bad, is it? We can kind of ignore some of the really bad things that we hear, the stories that we hear. But I do want to bring them to the surface a little bit today, because I think we can become indifferent. And we can look at our world and we can say it's, it's just not, it's not that bad. I think we're all pretty good people. In fact, you're going to hear that quite a bit today. Man is basically good. But you know what? That's not what the Bible talks about. And if left to our own, we go down a really bad path. Entertainment. Uh, we see it a lot today. I want to give you some statistics here. It's estimated In the U.S. entertainment industry, that pornography, which is growing and growing by leaps and bounds, produces on the low side $6 billion a year. Now, what's interesting, first of all, is that 
uh, pornography is considered entertainment. But then it's put in this group, and it starts to compete. And they compete with things like NBA and Hollywood and Netflix and Viacom and, and NFL. Now, one of the things about pornography is it's really hard to track the income that comes from pornography. And so some have estimated that pornography draws in about $15 billion a year, and there are some as high an estimation of $90 billion a year. Now, we look at that, and we go, oh, well, it's just part of our culture, it's just part of our world, and a lot of Christians even today go, eh, it's not that bad. In fact, pornography has come into the church, we know that. We know people struggle with it, both men and women. It's growing among women quite rapidly. Pornography is, is a huge issue, and it's not going away because it produces a lot of income and a lot of money. But that's our world we live in. According to a September 2017 report from the International Labor Organization, an estimated 24.9 million victims are trapped in modern-day slavery. We call it human trafficking today. 16 million were exploited for labor. We don't think about that too much. We usually just think of sex trafficking. But actually more uh, people are used for labor than sex trafficking. 4.8 million were used for sex trafficking. And 4.1 were actually put into state-imposed forced labor. So some government's actually forcing people into labor as well. Uh, It's estimated that human trafficking earns a profit of roughly $150 billion a year for trafficking. Now I talked about, and here's why... um, Sex trafficking has gotten a lot of of recognition, and that's because 19% of the victims are trafficked for sex, yet it's that 19% that makes up 66% of the income. $100 billion of it is for sex trafficking. That's bad, right? And sometimes we ignore it, and we're like, oh, that that doesn't really happen. It doesn't happen in, in Idaho, not in the Treasure Valley. Yeah, it happens here. Men and women, especially women, are taken and used against their will for all kinds of things. That's the kind of world we live in. Well, how bad is this sexual revolution? We talk about a lot of different things when it comes to the sexual revolution. And, and here's one thing that just it surprises me, yet it, it shouldn't, I guess, as you continue to see the snowball effect have happen. But there is actually a movement to let young children choose their gender, and parents, by law, must agree to it. So if your 8- or 10-year-old comes home and says, I feel like I want to be a girl instead of a boy, or vice versa, then they can actually go to the school, start to talk to counselors, and those counselors can come back and say, hey, we think they ought to do that, and get enough help and support, and there are some states that are pushing that with their kids. And then there is a movement to make matters worse, to make pedophilia acceptable in our country. Well, hey, if they can decide what gender they want to be, why not go ahead and decide, you know, if they want to, at 8 or 10 years old, have sex with an adult, that's, that should be their choice. So those things are, are in the works. And we look at, at, at our world and we say, yeah, we're basically good. Now, in case I haven't got you angry yet, I'll give you one more headline, which for me elicits quite a bit of anger, 
and there's a point to it. Read this headline. Mother kills her child. Now, this hasn't happened just once. It's happened more than once. Does that upset you? It's a pretty bad world we live in. When you start to look at all the things that happen in our world, you see what's going on, you think, this is not the way God designed it. And while we like to talk about God's love and grace and mercy and absolutely all those things are true, we have to realize that we as people, I'm speaking universally here, we as people have problems. We have issues. And we can take the worst of the worst, at least what we consider the worst of the worst, and we become angry of it. But what we need to realize is where you have this holy God, when he steps back, even the littlest white lie that we would say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Even the littlest white lie, he sees how that produces another lie. And how that over here affects this person. And how it affects that person. And he sees the snowball effect. And he can tell how just the tiniest, smallest white lie on our behalf. Or, or when we decide that we're going to act a certain way towards somebody else. Well, it's not that, well I, I actually, I'm justified, right? They hurt me so I can hurt them back. And, and God looks at that and goes, no, that's wrong, that's sin. When we have those little things happen, he can see the effect long term. And it grieves him. And it angers him. And that's why he says, God's wrath is revealed against us. Against all godlessness and unrighteousness. God is a holy God. And the smallest of sin, he cannot be around. Because he is completely separated from it. Now that's pretty discouraging. But there's hope. So we've got to keep going forward. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown them, so of course he goes ahead and he reveals his wrath to people. They have rejected God. They have taken the truth of God. We have taken the truth of God. Our society has taken the truth of God and pushed it aside. We have taken God as a creator. We've said, no, God's not a creator. Some people believe that. Some people believe in a other deity. Some people believe we just got here by accident. He goes on in verse 20 says, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, seen since creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. There's not one person, when they see God face to face at the judgment seat, who will be able to say, I didn't know you existed. Because God has already made himself known. Now, people can't suppress the truth. People can avoid it. People may have been brought up a certain way, but everybody has to ask the question somewhere along the way, how did all this get here, right? How did all this world get here? And some may believe it just happened by accident, but God, in his justice, in his righteousness, says, no, nobody will be without excuse because I made it really clear I'm the creator. And that's what he's saying there. Now, as you go forward in verse 21, you see that God allows sin to run its course. I will oftentimes get asked, 
this question, why is there so much sin in the world? Why is there so much evil in the world? If God is such a good, gracious, kind God, why doesn't he stop sin? And the simple answer to that is God allows for our freedom to exist. He allows for us to make choices. And as we make choices, it does create a snowball effect, and he allows sin to run its course. And you see that here in this passage. Three times Paul will say in this, these few verses that we have, you have exchanged what is right with something that is wrong, and so there's a consequence. With less of God's glory, we have more sinful desires. And with less of the truth, we have more shameful lust. And with less natural relations, we have more depravity. And you'll see that as, as we move forward. Verse 21. It says, for they, and a question can come up. Well, who is the they in this passage? Then maybe you're already writing that question. Can you tell me who the they is? Uh, the they could be read, for one, a lot of people think because of the dynamics that are going on in the Roman church, you have a, a Jewish population and a Gentile population. And it's probably the Gentile population, or at least the Jews begin to think so. And I think Paul is doing this on purpose. I think what he's getting people to think, if you were a Jew, is... Um, hey, Paul's talking about those bad Gentiles over there. And the Jews begin to say, we're not like them, and Paul's going to be on our side. Let's just see how this unfolds. You've got to come back next week. Luke's going to take it in chapter 2, and he's going to tell us that Paul actually turns the table and says, well, you guys are also sinners. But it could be, too, for us as people who have grown up in the church that we can sometimes look at a group of people out there and say, yeah, that's, that's those people that God's talking about. And then chapter 2 comes, and chapter 2 says, no, you all are guilty. And then Romans 3 comes and says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we all need forgiveness. So the they in this scenario, at least today for us, I think is the world uh, would be unbelievers because it is in the past tense for people who have not and do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They knew God, but they didn't glorify him. Hopefully as the believer in Christ, we know God and we glorify him. So unbelievers, they did not glorify him, but you and I were also once unbelievers. Don't forget that as we move through. Though they knew God, they did not glorify him or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's the first exchange. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Back then, and people do it today even as well, but people see, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to exchange worshiping God for these images. And they would create graven images. Or quite possibly what Paul was even talking about here is he went back to the exile when Israel was in, uh, was in, the, the, excuse me, in Egypt. They were worshiping animals at that point. But in either way, I think people during the time of, of Paul's day and even today, people worship what God has created rather than worshiping God. So what does God do? Verse 24, therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to be sexually 
impure or to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. If we move away from God, interestingly enough, you go back to the Garden of Eden. What was the first thing Adam and Eve noticed when sin came into the world? They were naked. It was the first time that they took their eyes off of God's glory and put it on each other. And they saw they were naked. And since that time, we know sexual impurity and immorality has, in every culture, in every way, has ran rampant. It's, it's a way for our bodies to be excited and to entertain ourselves, to, to all types of things. We've got emotions wrapped up and, and physical pleasure. All those things are wrapped up into sexual immorality. So it's grown in every culture and in every way. And as we take our eyes off of our God and creator, and we put it on ourselves, and sexual immorality, sexual impurity grows. When you exchange the glory of the immortal for images resembling mortal man, sinful desires and sexual immorality and impurity grows. The next exchange, verse 25, they exchange the truth of God, of who he is, almighty God who is creator, who is just, who is right, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. There are people who are worshiping, even today, worshiping animals. And certainly then there were as well. It takes you back, I think, to an Old Testament story in my mind of of Baal and how the prophets of Baal were worshiping Baal, and they were trying to call down fire from heaven, and Elijah shows up on the scene, and he kind of makes fun of them. That's kind of a great opportunity for him. He's like, yeah, go ahead, just call on your God. Why don't you start cutting yourself? Why don't you chant and all those types of things? And their God was powerless, absolutely powerless. And then to make it worse, he's like, yeah, why don't you go pour water on my altar? And he drenches it with water. And then he prays, and God sends fire down and just devours up everything. That's a powerful God. That's the God we know and we serve. But people will buy a lie and believe in other gods and believe in other powers and believe in other things. So what does God do? For this reason, verse 26, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Some translations say shameful lusts. So the first step is they're given over to sinful desires, and then it kind of builds. It goes even more, kind of like I showed you earlier. If you go back in our culture, in the U.S. culture, you go back to a time period. Sexual immorality has always existed, by the way. Don't think it's just recent. But there was a time when it was looked down upon a little bit more. Now it's more widely accepted, and it continues to be more widely accepted to where now people who 100 years ago would never have imagined pedophilia being being taken to a courtroom is now being taken to a courtroom. Because over time, sin just kind of runs its course. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passage, or um, passions. 
Now, the end of verse 26, then it says, Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also felt natural relations with women and were inflamed with their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. Now, this passage has often been used by Christians to go, look how bad homosexuality is. And I do think that the Bible makes it clear that a relationship, the way God created it, is to be between a man and a woman. But here in this passage, don't get so caught up in the details that you lose sight of what God is really communicating here. Mankind is sinful. And when you allow it to run its course... It gets worse, and it gets worse from our point of view. Now, from God's point of view, the littlest white lie is just as bad as the really bad murder over here because God sees sin for what it is and how unrighteous it is. But from our point of view, we tend to grade sin and put it in different places. And so he shows us, look at what happens when you let things go. He sees what's right from the beginning, and then it takes us a long time to finally realize, if we let this go, then it's going to lead to this over here. And that's what he's pointing out. And so we live in a society where we've seen that happen, right? We've seen that snowball effect take place, and sin has run its course. And that's what he's pointing out there. So the Roman world saw it as well. Just give a little bit here, give a little bit there. Sin builds as it continues to build. It gets worse and worse. Well, what happens then? Well, you end up with a corrupt mind. Other translations talk about a depraved mind. And if you think about that, here's his point. A depraved mind is far, maybe you want to even add really far, from God. And so he goes in verse 29, he says, They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, love, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they knew God, just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. That's a depraved mind that's walked away from God. Now you can read one of those, and maybe one of those, as he is naming that off, says, well, maybe that's an area I struggle with. And I think that's one of the reasons he puts all of those different types of sins in there is because we can go, oh, yeah, that's an area I can see myself and how I fit into it. But verse 32 really hits hard where he says, not only do they practice these things, but they actually applaud those who practice such things. You ever known somebody who has skipped work and called in the morning and said, hey, I don't feel well today. And you know they're lying. 
And maybe you even encourage them to call in sick. That would be applauding a lie, wouldn't it? The little things that we do along the way, the little sins that we see, ah, those aren't so bad. From God's point of view, they're bad. They're unrighteous. And God is angry at sin. That's what he tells us, verse 18. Okay? God is angry at sin. Now, I told you to, to hang on. At this point, you may say, man, this is not a very nice message. Well, it isn't, but there's hope. Guilt is not fun. It's not good, uh, or it's not a pleasure to talk about, but there is hope. So I will give you the good news, and we won't just drop it off there and let Luke pick it up next week. I'll let you fill in a little bit here, and you're going to see this more and more as you continue through the book of Romans. God is angry at sin, but the good news is God took his anger out on Jesus. Sometimes I don't like to think of it that way. And maybe that grabbed your attention. You're like, I, that isn't, I don't like that. Why would God take his anger out on Jesus? Jesus is the nice, loving Savior who came to this earth and was so kind to everybody. But the Bible tells us that God took the wrath, his anger, out on Jesus. Check out Isaiah 53, 6. We all went astray, okay? Depraved minds are far from God. We all went astray like sheep. We have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him. And the him here is specifically talking about the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, for the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us, our sins, our transgressions, all the things we have done wrong was poured out on Christ. John three thirty six. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. It's interesting as you continue to unfold, and what Scripture has to say is, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then he took your sins. But if you don't believe Jesus Christ, then his wrath still rests on you. And so we're also told in Romans 5, 8 through 9, But God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? If we place our faith in Christ, we'll be saved from wrath. How much more can we ask for? So God's wrath that honestly should have been poured out upon us was poured out on Jesus Christ instead. Isn't that amazing? So hopefully what you felt as you were kind of moving along or what you began to see and sense is that God's pretty upset and angry because we live in a sinful world. But when Jesus Christ hung on that cross, his wrath and his anger was poured out on him. And when he cried out and said, He said, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said in that point, you have poured out your wrath on me and you've turned your back because God the Father could not be associated with his wrath, with the, excuse me, with the sin. I, I can't even imagine what Jesus Christ suffered at that moment. But he did it for you and for me. That's amazing. 
And while we go out and we oftentimes talk, talk about Christ and how much he loves us and, and, and how much grace he has for us, I think those are all good things and people need to hear that. They need to know that they're loved by God. They also need to understand that his love is so much deeper than just, well, you're an okay person and he loves you for it. His love is you really don't deserve his love, grace, and mercy. But because he is gracious, he loved you instead. And it's far greater than just a superficial love that oftentimes I think is presented when the gospel is given. God is angry at sin, but the good news is God took his angry anger out on Jesus. Well, in all honesty, as I come to a close on a message like this, I really don't know what else to do other than just pray and give God honor and worship him. So will you do that with me now? And then we'll take some questions, and then I want to challenge you with a response. Father, as we think through what your son has done for us, we have no response other than just awe. And the idea of awe is uh, just to stand without any words in awe of who you are. A God who created something so wonderful and so amazing and then we came along and we chose through Adam and Eve to sin and bring sin into this beautiful, incredible world. And instead of destroying us, you decided to be gracious to us. Father, we know that there's nothing that we can do to make your anger and your wrath go away, but we thank you that your son came and put himself on that cross so you could pour your wrath on him and that in him, that anger and that wrath is no longer directed towards us. And that we now have peace with you. And Father, I do ask if there's anybody here today that does not know what it's like to be at peace with you, that this would be a day of salvation for them. Because how marvelous, how wonderful, how incredible it is when we can be no longer at war, no longer recipients of anger or wrath truly at peace. No matter what kind of history we have, no matter how great our sins are, no matter what the world has said about what we have done, no matter the feelings we might have about our own sin, we know that you are a more powerful, more gracious God than any sin that we have and that we have hope, eternal hope in you. And that you transform and you make us and when we fall, you pick us up. And When we confess our sins, you're faithful and just. You forgive us our sins. Thank you for that. We want to live this life in a way that honors you, so help us to do that. Father, thank you for your grace and your plan of salvation. Jesus, thank you that you bore our sins, that you suffered for us, that you didn't just stay in the grave, you rose from the dead to give us life, and now we have that eternal life, and we have it today. We give you praise and glory for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, any questions come through? Yeah, can you go ahead and move that next slide just in case people? Okay. So I've got a few right. questions here, but yeah, it's not too late if you want to go ahead and text a question in. So I'm trying to decide what order to do these in. Um, all right. Does God delivering people over to the desires of their hearts mean he has given up on them? Is there still hope for them? Uh, good question. I sure hope there is because I think that passage was talking about us before we were believers in Christ. And so, uh, yes, uh, there, is, there is at no point when um, you are no longer able to be forgiven of, of sin. I think, you know, the, the Bible does talk about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I think in the context there, it's talking about how uh, we can get to a point where we just totally reject the work of the Holy Spirit. But that is, is different than sinning in the sense that you're just totally saying, no, I don't want anything to do with you, the Holy Spirit, with God, versus like uh, a sin where you admit it, you allow God to forgive you. And even somebody who's saying no to the Holy Spirit, if they say at some point in time, yes, I think even there's salvation offered at that point. So I don't know if that clarifies maybe what it's talking about. That's great. Um if we are saved from the wrath of God through Jesus, why should I strive to live a righteous life? Uh, that's a good question. Um, we will deal with that more so in Romans 6. Um, but because of his love for us, I think we're motivated to respond in a way where we love him in return. Uh, some actually argued that, and like I say, in Romans 6, we'll... We will tackle that a little bit more. But um, I think as Paul was, was preaching and writing Romans, people were saying, yeah, that's, that's true. Why, why don't we just go ahead and sin? In fact, Paul even says to people, some would say, if, if as sin increase, increases, grace increases, then why don't we just keep on sinning so grace increases more? And Paul's like, no, that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, we love and honor God because of what Christ has done for us. So just, and I'll make it more personal this way. Uh, when I made a vow to Rebecca and we got married, I made a vow to love her, not just be loved by her. And so it's, it's my responsibility in that relationship to love her well. And that means um, honoring her and serving her and caring for her. And so in a relationship with, with God, I think it's similar that way. Um, he loved us, and so we love him in return. So, so uh, I think this person might be uh, thinking about like God's holiness and his righteousness, um, and he says this. Well, tell me who wrote it, and I could tell you probably who. So <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> how, how was Satan allowed in the presence of God, such as in the book of Job, if God cannot have any sin or darkness in his presence? Uh, good question. Yeah, so Job does um, deal with that where in, in some form or fashion, that's a good good question as far as why in that throne room experience was God allowed to have Satan in his presence. Um, I don't really know that I have a good answer for that at this point. Um, other than in that case, you've got a, a person who came 
whether it was by invitation or um, just a lot of uncertainty there in that passage. But yeah, that's a good question. I'd have to think about that one some more. All right. Yeah. I think we have time for one more. Okay. So this is a little more down-to-earth practical one. How do we convey both the idea of a loving God and also the idea of a God who is angry at sin to those who don't know Christ? And a couple of follow-up questions. To those who don't acknowledge sin for what it is, to those who don't know what actual love is. Okay, so how, let me make sure I got that Yeah, one. so how do, we, we, how do we convey both the idea of a loving God and also the idea of a God who's angry at sin to those who don't know Jesus? Yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's probably always one of the hardest questions in sharing the gospel of Christ. Um, do you start with the love or do you start with the wrath part? I think whenever you're presenting the gospel, you have to, you have to do both. Uh, in fact, I would even go as far to say that a person needs to understand they need to confess their sins before they really are a believer and follower of Christ. Like, they need to understand that they're sinners and that God does have anger and wrath towards their sin. Now, whether they understand those terms, you know, words, the important part is they understand that they are broken off, separated from God, and then God is so gracious and loving that he removed uh, that separation between the two of them. So, boy, for each person, that can be really difficult. Um, I've known, I've had people come and they'll share that they came to faith in Christ because they heard very clearly God loves them. And they said, finally, somebody told me God loves them. And then they responded and they knew the gospel. Like they knew that they were sinners and they needed to be saved. And so that's what that person needed to hear was God's love side of it. But then I've heard other people that have lived their whole life just kind of in this almost euphoria kind of way, like, oh, God is gracious, God is good, but I'm basically a good person, and, and we're kind of in this whole partnership idea and thing, and, and God is just helping me be a better person, but they didn't really understand that they were sinners and that they really needed Christ, and, and finally, by accepting that, then they became a follower of Christ, and so it, it just probably figuring out where the person is, which takes relationships and time and yeah. um, that's the difficult part, yeah. But both are important, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so if you have further questions, we don't have time for more, but if you do still have a question, you can text it into that number, and we will deal with it midweek, and we'll yeah. post it. Um, and actually, I'm going to take over for a second right. here. Okay. Not that one. Uh, yeah, go okay. ahead and hit that. Um, so midweek Q&A, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, answer any questions that you send in. Um, and we'll have it on Facebook and Instagram, but we'll also do it live.involvedchurch.com, and it will go live Thursday evening. So if you could, like, have that in by the end of Tuesday, um, yeah, we great. can try to try to answer your question for you. So. Perfect. Thanks, well, thanks, thanks for the questions. Uh, love, again, your feedback on that, if you feel like that's good. If you feel like at that point we need some stools and chairs up here because it looks more relaxing. Look at that. Um, however that works, but... But uh, those are good. And like I say, there are times I'm going to be like, you know what? That's a good question with Job. So I'll have to think through that some more and give you, give you maybe an answer through this week on it as well. So, hey, a couple things just to respond as we think through. Whoa. And it's dark. A um, couple things here. God is angry at sin, yet he loves us enough to pay the penalty of his own anger. How do you deal with other people's sin and in a way, uh, and in ways, 
excuse me, how do you deal with other people's sins and in what ways can you grow to be more like Christ? So as you think about how, how God has been gracious and merciful towards you, how can you do the same towards others? And then is there someone, sorry, the lights, we got to just keep going up and down, up and down. Hopefully nobody has seizures or anything, but... Um, Is there someone in your life you haven't forgiven? What steps do you need to take towards forgiveness? Um, God has shown us grace and mercy, even though we deserve wrath. And uh, and you know what? We can give grace and mercy and gentleness to others. So maybe there's somebody specific that you can think about. Think about those things, and I think at this point the lights might go down, but that's actually on.